I do hope you'll be here Thursday night, Friday night rather, Friday night. You can come Thursday night, nobody will be here, but I hope you'll come Friday night um, for our Christmas Eve service. I'm going to be speaking about the, fir- the perfect timing of Christmas. The perfect timing of Christmas. And bring your family and friends and neighbors and Christ will be, I pray Christ will be exalted and in music, song, and in the word, and in our prayers and candle lighting, and it's going to be a great night. So that'll be Friday night, Friday night. Um, today I would like you to turn in your Bibles, if you have them, to the book of Colossians, chapter 1. The book of Colossians, chapter 1. And I'm going to read verses 15 through 17 today, Colossians 1. 15 through 17 today. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. The title of the message today is The Christ of Christmas. The Christ of Christmas. And uh, I read a story this week, and I thought, as soon as I read it, I thought, man, I gotta gotta share this story with uh, Cedar Home Church uh, uh, this uh, Sunday. And uh, because it works perfectly into what I want, I hope to communicate to you through this passage today. And the the story is called the... um, the Leader and the Janitor, The Leader and the Janitor, uh, a story of a true American hero. I'm going to have to edit it as I go along, but uh, you'll get the point. This is uh, written by a guy by the name, or his name is Colonel James Moshkat, U.S. Air Force, retired, and it goes like this. William Bill Crawford was an unimpressive figure, one you could easily overlook during a hectic day at the U.S. Air Force Academy. Mr. Crawford, as most of us referred to him, was our squadron janitor. While we cadets busied ourselves preparing for academic exams, athletic events, Saturday morning parades, room inspections, or never-ending leadership classes, Bill quietly moved about the squadron, mopping and buffing floors, emptying trash cans, cleaning toilets, or just tidying up the mess a hundred college-age kids can leave in the dormitory. Sadly, and for many years, few of us gave him much notice, rendering little more than a passing nod or a curt, throwing a curt good morning in his direction as we hurried off to our daily duties. Maybe it was his physical appearance that made him disappear into the background. Maybe it was Mr. Crawford's personality that rendered him almost invisible to the young people around him. He was shy, almost painfully so. He seldom spoke to a cadet unless they addressed him first, and that didn't happen very often. And Mr. Crawford, well, he was just a janitor. What changed uh, happened on a fall Saturday afternoon. I was reading a book about World War II and the tough Allied ground campaign in Italy when I stumbled across an incredible story. On September 13, 1943, a Private William Crawford from Colorado, assigned to the 36th Infantry Division, had been involved in some bloody fighting on Hill 424 near Alta Via, Italy. The words on the page leapt out at me. Quote, in the face of intense and overwhelming hostile fire, with no regard for personal safety, on his own initiative, Private Crawford single-handedly attacked fortified enemy positions 
It continued for, quote, conspicuous gallantry and intrepidity at risk of life above and beyond the call of duty, the President of the United States bestowed upon him the Medal of Honor. Holy cow. I said to my roommate, you're not going to believe this, but I think our janitor is a Medal of Honor recipient. We all knew Mr. Crawford was a World War II Army vet, but that didn't keep my friend from looking at me as if I was some sort of alien being. Nonetheless, we couldn't wait to ask Bill about the story, and we met Mr. Crawford bright and early Monday and showed him the page in question from the book, anticipating uh, and doubt on our faces, and he stared at it for a few silent moments and then quietly uttered something like, yep, that's me. After that brief exchange, things were never the same around our squadron again. Word spread like wildfire among the cadets that we had a hero in our midst, a Medal of Honor winner. Mr. Crawford, our janitor, had been bestowed the medal. Cadets who had once passed by Bill with hardly a glance now greeted him with a smile and a respectful, good morning, Mr. Crawford. Those who had been before left a mess for the janitor to clean up started taking upon themselves to clean things and put them in order. Almost overnight, Bill went from being a simple fixture in our squadron to one of our teammates. I don't know. It just fits what I'm about to say today because long before Bill became a humble janitor, he was something much, much greater than that. He was a Medal of Honor winner. Now, it's entirely appropriate this morning, okay, on this Sunday before Christmas to start first by going to the wonderful verses in the Gospels that speak of the humble beginnings of the Christ child. Okay, and many are going to do that by the thousands this morning. Pastors are speaking maybe through some verses in the Gospels about the humility of the birth of Christ, and that's where they're going to go to first. They will use verses that center in onto the humble beginnings of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Um, but like the story I just read to you, there's a whole lot more to the Christ of Christmas than his humble birth. Because who he really was started a long time before his humble entrance on earth. In fact, an eternity before Christmas Day. So before we get to his birth this morning, and especially Friday night, I want us to look at the previous existence of Christ, the Christ of Christmas from the book of Colossians as we've just read. And the title of the message today is The Christ of Christmas. Who is he? Who is this person that we celebrate as the Christ child? Who is he really? There are several things this passage tells us, and I think it's good for us to know. And like those cadets discovered the incredible past of their janitor, their humble janitor, I hope that you and I will discover in a fresh way the incredible past of our Lord Jesus Christ, as I said, in a new way. So the Christ of Christmas, who is he? Well, first of all, the Christ of Christmas was God. Was God. Look at verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Now, the truth of it is, is that the nature of Christ the true nature of Christ, the divine nature of Christ has been attacked since he walked the earth and up to today. The divine nature of Christ is, has been and is and always will be until his return um, attacked, downgraded. And that was happening in the first century with 
all kinds of philosophical theories. Uh, in this case, it was a group called the Gnostics, but they were uh, downgrading the true nature of Christ, and the believers at this church of Colossae were kind of, kind of discouraged because they realized that if Christ really wasn't truly Lord of all, they couldn't have been truly rescued, redeemed, or forgiven for their sins because Christ's atonement on the cross um, would be insufficient and ineffective for them. And so they were kind of down about it. Is this really God? Is this really a sufficient, efficient, totally uh, complete sacrifice for our sins or not? And so the Apostle Paul makes it clear that the baby born in Bethlehem was clearly God. He says the Son is the image of the invisible God. And what Paul was saying was this. You know that Christ child born in a stable? He was no less than, than God. He was deity. And he was as... I would say the old timers, if I could use that phrase, he was God of very God. He didn't become God, but he always was, had been God, even when he was a baby. But he had an incredible past, even as a baby. The past was God. Now, in that sentence that we read, he is the image of the invisible God, that word image was something important to the Greeks and the Hebrews, the recipients of this letter. In Greek thought, the word image was something that, here's what an image was. An image was something that shares in the reality of what it represents, okay? In other words, it is an actual visible manifestation of what it represents, not just a copy. When we hear the word image, sometimes it sounds like, well, that's a copy of something. It's a copy. But it's much, much more than that. It's an actual visible manifestation and reality of what it represents. We can express that in several different ways, maybe hopefully get to a conclusive idea of what image is. Let's try that. Um, in Christ, we see the perfect visible representation of the invisible God, the visible representation of the invisible God. In Christ, God's glory is perfectly seen. In Christ, we have the perfect portrait of God. Christ is the perfect revelation of God to men. With Christ in the manger, we see the true, exact likeness of God because he is God, not just a reflection of God. To put it all in a nutshell, Jesus was and is the exact likeness of God. God in human form, or what we call the incarnation. And this statement of Christ's deity cut to the core of those then and now who believed that Jesus Christ was just one of many representations of God or an angel of God or one of the various ways to God. No way. Christ, born in the manger, was, is, and always will be God. And we, we, we talk about this during Christmas. What's one of the main verses, the one main Christmas verses, you see that Christmas cards all the time or whatever, is Isaiah 9, 6, right? For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counsel. What's the next two words, guys? Mighty God, and then he's equated with the Father, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. 
And the Gospels are full of verses on this. I'm going to go quickly, but Matthew 1.23, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Not just a good guy, not just a person on a higher plane of consciousness, not one of the many enlightened prophets through history, God himself. And of course, we can't go past John chapter 1, can we? John chapter 1, verse 1, 2, and 18. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He was with God in the beginning. Our cult friends want to say, and the Word was a God, but there is no A in there. That's inserted by false teachers. It is, the Word was God. Verse 18, John chapter 1. No one has ever seen God but the one and only, the one and only Son, who is himself God. And all through the New Testament, you have the same things, not just in the Gospels. Let me quote some of these quickly because I love doing this. Romans 9, 5. In speaking to the Jews or about the Jews, Paul says, These, theirs are the patriarchs, and from them is traced by the human ancestry of the Messiah, who is God over all. Forever praised. Amen. And then, of course, Colossians, the next chapter from where we're at right now in verse 9 says, For in Christ all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. And then I found a beauty in Titus 2, 11 through 14. It gives a little bit more well-rounded but also very clear statement of the deity of our Lord Jesus Christ. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing and the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all the wickedness and to purify himself for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. And I love that combination. God and Savior, Jesus Christ, going back, cutting to the core of any philosophy or so-called religion that says Jesus Christ and his redemptive work on the cross is any less than a divine thing. And then back to Hebrews chapter 1 where I preached on this and enjoyed every second of it. In verse 8, but about the Son, the Father, he's talking about the Father, but about the Son, the Father says, your throne, O God, will last forever. God the Father calling Jesus God. This is the deity of Christ 101 this morning. I hope this just lodges in your mind for the next time you or I doubt the utter deity of Christ, or we get that knock on our door by them who do not believe Jesus is God. Sometimes I'll scan down at my notes in my Bible. Do you, ever, do you have a study Bible? And then you look down at your notes and see what the expert theologians say. I do that. I do it a lot. I found a dandy on this one here of Colossians 1. This is what the, the Brainiac said, okay? But Jesus is not merely an image or reflection of God because the Son himself is God. He's absolute, the absolute authentic represent, representation of God's being. He is the sum of those qualities that make God specifically God. 
and he had no problem claiming that he was God. So as C.S. Lewis said, he either, he's either a, a, an insane maniac, I'm paraphrasing C.S. Lewis, or he is the very son of God, God himself. It's interesting in the 10th chapter of John, after speaking to the Jewish leaders, he said to them, I am my father, I and my father are one. And there was no question in their mind as to what Jesus meant because they picked up stones to hurl at him for blasphemy. As verse 33 says, we're throwing stones at you because you being a man make yourself out to be God. Now, just hold on a second because I, when, you know, I don't know if we understand that when we talk about the Pharisees and these Jewish scholars, they were the PhDs of their day. And this, to me, is one of the most stark uh, um, ex uh, expressions that Jesus claimed to be God because the theological experts wanted to kill him. They picked up stones, and these weren't just little pebbles. These were, you know, stones intended to murder Christ. Why? Because he said he was God. And I take stock in what those theological PhDs said. And you go to the second half of verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. And again, the cults will teach that he was born out of nothing, kind of like you and I, we were born out of nothing. Okay, you ever hear that phrase, uh, they were a, a, the, the twinkle in mother's eye or something like that. In other words, before we were ever conceived, they were thinking about our birth. We were born out of nothing. But this, and, and so the cults will try to teach that this word or phrase, the firstborn over all creation, means that Jesus was born. How wrong they are. In the Greek, the word means sovereign and supreme. Doesn't mean coming out of time or creation and into time and creation. It means sovereign and supreme over all creation. It's the idea of honor and favor and uniqueness and superiority. Jesus was not a created being, but as the uncreated creator, he has priority of position and preeminence over all creation. That's who's in the manger. How many, how many of you have little manger scenes at home? We, lots, great. We do too. I looked at ours. Jesus is about that big in ours. He's, I, I kind of measured him visually. He's two inches long. But I looked at that and I thought, this was the scene. And that little baby, <laughs> I'm going to go this far, okay? That little baby, that, that little two-inch thing in our little manger scene, that little baby was God over all creation. That's the Christ of Christmas. Let's go to the second one. The second point here is that the Christ child of Christmas is not only God, but the, the Christ of Christmas was the creator of all things. Look at verse, um, let's see, 16 here. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. This means that Christ, the baby born in the manger, before his coming to this earth, was the author, creator, agent, power, 
by whom all things came into being. And I want you to look back at verse 16. And you notice the word all there? Say yes, please. Thank you. All. No, you know what that means? No exceptions. No exceptions. All things came into being by the Christ child when he was the pre-incarnate son of God. You know, when you read Genesis next time and you hear or read these, let there be, that's my Cecil B. DeMille, you know, voice, uh, let there be everything. You know who that was? It was Jesus. In concert with the Father, okay, but that was Jesus. Let there be light, let there be stars, let there be whatever. That was Jesus, the one who would become a babe in the manger. Praise the Lord. Again, we go back to John chapter 1 and verse 3. Okay, it says, through him, and there's that all again. All things were made. And without him, nothing was made that has been made. I want, you th- I want you to entertain a thought with me this morning on this Sunday before Christmas sermon here. Do you know all the scientists of the world, all the brilliant brainiac scientists of the world can't make a single blade of grass out of nothing? They, all the scientists of the world have to start with material that's already there. Right? Except for one individual whose name is Jesus Christ. He started from nothing. I love what, uh, again, we, I go back to Hebrews because there's so much good in the, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 10. And this is the Father speaking about Jesus, if you want to go back and get the context. In the beginning, Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. God the Father is telling God the Son, in the beginning, Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. God the Father is talking to God the Son, and God the Son is lying in this little, probably primitive, cradle type of container on Christmas Day. It's pretty mind-bending. And, and it tells us here that Jesus created three things. Let's look at them. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him. Before. Let's go to those three real quickly. Number one, things in heaven and on earth. The next time you step outside at nighttime and you're, maybe you're in a place where there's not too much light interference, and you see the stars in the sky, I want you to remember something, okay? And if you know me, you know I love talking about stars and planets and stuff when it comes to creation. But anyway, our galaxy, the Milky Way, contains more than 100 billion stars. 100 billion. Okay. And maybe more, but at least 100 billion. And there are probably at least 100 billion other galaxies in the universe with the same amount or more stars. Okay? Um, Those stars are millions of times bigger than our sun. Now, our sun can hold 25,000 planets the size of our Earth, and our planet is 25,000 miles in diameter, or in uh, circumference. So, let's think about that. There are 100 billion stars in our galaxy, okay, 
each with billions of stars. Millions of times, and the stars are, this is one interesting thing I came up with. There are stars in our universe that are, that are, uh, that can hold 3.69 billion of our suns. So our suns can hold 25,000 planets the size of the earth, and there are stars in our universe that can hold 3.69 billion suns. Going back, oh, one person said there are more stars and grains of sand on all the earth's beaches combined. Our galaxy, going back to our galaxy, the Milky Way is so big that even at the speed of light, it would take 100,000 year, light years to travel across it. That's light traveling 186,000 miles per second for 100,000 of our calendar years just to get through the Milky Way. And the estimated universe, the universe is estimated to be 7 trillion light years across. So that's light traveling 186,000 miles per second for seven trillion of our calendar years. And guess who created it all in one word out of nothing? Jesus. Jesus, the one who was born in the stable. And he created all things visible and invisible, all material things, plus heaven and the angelic realm with its millions of glorious angels, thrones, powers, and authorities, all kingly, governmental, earthly authority. And all these things, it says, were created for him, for Jesus. All creation, visible and invisible, exists to glorify Christ, to serve Christ, and to bring honor to Christ, and it will. And so, the Christ of Christmas was God the Creator. Okay? And then thirdly, the Christ of Christmas was eternal. Let's look at verse 17, first part. He is before all things. He is before all things. The baby in the manger is the eternal, was and is the eternally pre-existent God. He never had a beginning. All of us here in, in this worship area, we had a beginning. We had a beginning. And all of the dates of our beginning, well, probably different. Maybe a few of our birthdays fall on the same birthday, but we all had a beginning. Jesus had no beginning. Before the manger, Christ was before and outside of all time. His existence was eternally before all things. And we, again, comes up to this Christmas verse that we hear all the time, but we pass by it. And I don't know if you guys did the King James on this. I, I don't know if I made it evident enough that I wanted that, but this is the King James, I think, says it so much better than the NIV that I use, but I'm going to read the King James, Micah 5, 2. But thou Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. Everlasting. When did Jesus start? He didn't. He didn't start. If you want, to get, if you want your brain to break down, just think about that for a while. Oh, it, it, it's like you can't, but it's true. In fact, Jesus said that himself. Again, either God or a real wingnut. John eight fifty eight. Jesus tells the Pharisees, before Abraham was born, I am. He was claiming to be the eternally preexistent God here. I am wasn't just I am. 
It was a claim to existence before Abraham and a reference to the sacred name of God to the Jews, Yahweh. And thus a claim to be God. And again, they pick up stones to stone him. Their aim must not have been very good, you know? Because every time they picked him up, they, he walked away. Why did they try to stone him? Because he's claiming to be the eternally preexistent God. John the Baptist said the same thing. In chapter, John chapter 1, verse 30, a man, speaking of Jesus, who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. And just to spread it out a little bit, you go to 1 Peter 1.20 and it says that Jesus was chosen before the creation of the world but was revealed in these last times for your sake. And finally, the Christ of Christmas was not only God, not only the creator, not only the eternal one, eternally preexistent and eternally forward, but the Christ of Christmas is the sustainer the sustainer. And I was sharing my, this message with Debbie, and I, said, is it, and I thought, I, my first word was, Christ is the consister. But then we decided that's not even a word, so we had to do something else. But he consists, makes all things consist. He's the sustainer. And in him all things hold together. I know that it's just kind of wild, but that little child was holding the universe together. <laughs> I mean, it's just like, what? You say, no, that was before he incarnated. Uh, sorry, that's not true. And I, don't, I don't understand. If you have any questions, please bring them to one of the other staff members of the church <laughs> or to our deacons. They will be happy to explain how a baby in the major can make the universe consist. I don't know. Do you ever find yourself saying when you hear this kind of, I don't know, I don't know, don't feel like I have to know? But in him, all things hold together. No exception. You know the chair that you're sitting on right now is being held together by the power of Jesus Christ? Did you know that? Did you know your shoes that you're wearing? That those, the molecules and the atoms and the subatomic particles of those shoes are being held together by Jesus Christ? Unless the scriptures are wrong, anybody want to make that claim? I didn't think so. Did you know that the carpet that I'm sitting on right now, every fiber of this carpet, every single one is being, and the molecules and atoms that hold these fibers together, that holds the carpet together, that is supporting me, is held together by Jesus. Held together. If the he didn't hold it together, they would fly apart in an atomically, uh, atomic explosion, I guess you would call it. And you know the car you're driving home after church, unless you walked here? That car, all of the parts of that car are being held together by Jesus Christ. Otherwise, it would fly apart into a millions and millions of atomic explosions. The flowers, the trees that you drive by, the grass, all held together by Jesus. You know the Sunday dinner that you're going to eat after church today? Whatever that is. That, those, that would fly apart without Jesus holding it together. Okay? Held together here means to cohere, to consist. The very baby born on Christmas Day enabled the entire universe, large and small, down to its subatomic particles to stay and hold together. Do we realize 
how exalted our Lord is, even while he was born to a virgin on Christmas Day. Christ's power alone holds the universe together. Pastor Scott Harris puts it this way, and in him all things hold together is an incredible mind-boggling truth. Jesus not only created everything, but he also continues to hold everything together. The verb tense here is a perfect tense in the Greek language, indicating that this is something he did in the past and continues to do through the present. He did not create everything and then walk away from it. He continues his involvement to the very present, and in fact, without his continual intervention, creation would not continue to stand. It would not hold together. It would disintegrate. Muhammad doesn't hold this world together. Allah does not hold this world together. Buddha does not hold this world together. Joseph Smith does not hold this world together. Mitch Klein doesn't hold this world together. Sometimes he thinks he does, but he doesn't. Jesus Christ holds this world together. We also know, I'm continuing on, that this, our, in our, from our study of 2 Peter chapter 3, which we don't go to right now, but that during the day of the Lord there'll be such a release of energy resulting in the heavens passing away with a roar and the elements melting with intense heat so that the earth and its works will be burned up. Then, according to his promise, he will make new heavens and a new earth. What our creator did in the past will not be difficult for him to do again in the future. He's going to release all of those atoms and subatomic particles into a great melting, the word is used, a great disintegration, and then recreate the universe. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're going to, you're going to be on the upper end of that. Thank goodness. Anyway, these four truths here today, that, he's, that Jesus is God, he's the creator, he's eternal, and he's the sustainer, is the great backdrop for Christmas Day as we view Christ in the manger. And just to put it, hopefully in a nutshell as we wind down this morning, that out of his love for us, God would send his eternal son God the creator, God the sustainer of all things large and small to earth to spontaneously generate him by the Holy Spirit in the womb of about a 15-ish, 16-ish, maybe 17-ish-year-old Jewish virgin girl. Have him go through all the stages of development that a normal baby does. And then as he's born or pre-born and born, clothe him in human flesh, then to grow him to full manhood, remaining completely sinless the whole time, and then go to the cross to die as a perfect substitutionary atoning sacrifice for our sin. And as verse 20 of this chapter of Colossians 1 says, to make peace through his blood shed on the cross and then to offer us eternal life free of charge. That is really the full Christmas story. But we don't want to rush through it without knowing who he was before the manger. I think the, the scripture that I'd like to use to wrap this up is Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. Follow along with me, if you will. 
Philippians 2, 5 through 11. Good summary here. In your relationship with one another, we have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with, with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself to become, by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And therefore God exalted him to the highest place, we'll get to that on Easter, and gave him the name that is above every name, and that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. If you're a believer here this morning, you're a Christian, or I'm a Christian, we should, we should do all we can to show our appreciation to him for this incredible gift. We should live our lives in light of what he divested himself of, being creator, sustainer, God himself, eternal. We should just give ourselves an obedient gratitude to the one who gave up so much for us. And if you're not a Christian here this morning, what greater time of year would it be to discover the true meaning of Christmas for yourself. If you're watching online or you're here and you've never received Christ, just think about the fact that in order to take you to heaven, Jesus Christ humbled himself and became a baby so that he could pay the price for your sin and then apply to you the forgiveness that he purchased for you on the cross. The only thing left for you to do is trust him by his grace through faith to give you eternal life. And I hope that you'll consider that this Christmas season. And I want to close with this story. That I thought that was really good. This is a good story. Because um, this week's going to be clogged and busy with Christmas stuff. And I, I wanted to share this story as we close. Um, probably would be better at a communion Sunday, but I just got to do this, Okay. Um, Leonardo da Vinci painted the, uh, a painting of the Last Supper, and if you and I got online and I looked at that pic- picture of this painting, the Last Supper, and there's nothing in his hands. You check me on it. Look at the, the the painting of the Last Supper by Leonardo da Vinci. There's nothing in his hands, but there's a back story to this that I want to share. Da Vinci. It took him three years to make this painting, and he wanted this to be his crowning work. The, the work that everybody remembered, okay, above and, all, above and beyond all of his, his, um, his paintings. But before he unveiled the painting, he asked a, a very close friend, um, you know, for, for their opinion, and he had a lot of respect for this person, and so uh, he asked this person for his uh, opinion, and the friend just praised the painting. He said, oh, it's just a wonderful, beautiful painting. And especially that cup that Jesus is holding. I mean, that's just beautiful. It's especially beautiful. It highlights the whole, the whole painting. And at the moment that, that Da Vinci heard that, he took up his paints, and he started to paint the cup out of the picture. And the, the friend said, what are you doing? I mean, that's, that's beautiful. It's like one of the centerpieces of the, of the painting. And he said, tell me why you're doing that. And Da Vinci said this, nothing must distract from the figure of Christ. Nothing 
He was so concerned that that cup would take any glory or any praise, any attention away from Christ that he painted it right out of the picture. And I think that's what we need to be careful of this week. As you've heard this scripture talking about the deity of our Lord and the fact that he is God and, he, and he's before all things and all things hold together because of him. And then he became the, the Christ child and then ultimately go to the cross. That, that paint out in your mind, try to anyway. I mean, family, food, all the rest, gifts, great stuff, great. But in, in a sense, paint out everything out of the picture this week and put Jesus at the center of it, right, amen? I mean, just do that. And remember uh, the Christ of Christmas. And then everything will be properly aligned the way God wants it to be in our minds. The world around us, man, there's no, there's no Christ at the center. But for us as believers, paint out everything else and just go to this passage or go out at night one night this week, if, if Washington State ever has a clear night again, you know. Sometimes, don't you wonder? As the rain is pouring down. But if you get a clear night this week, go, or whenever, go out and look at the sky and give praise to the one who became the Christ child. Let's stand together and close in prayer, shall we? God and Father, um, are, I, I feel inadequate right now. I really do. I feel inadequate. I feel so weak to give you the proper praise for what we just talked about. I just don't feel up to it. How can our lips, our tongues, our minds, how can our voices really uh, get around this crushing, heavy thought that the creator of all things deity, the sustainer, the one who had no beginning, would humble himself to the point to become a baby and ultimately a spotless, sinless lamb slaughtered for us, shedding his blood for the atonement of our sin and gives us the gracious offer of salvation and takes us into his family by his utter grace. Thank you, Father, for just Jesus and rid us down into uh, who the Christ child really was, who, what Christmas is all about. We love you. We thank you with gratitude. And all God's people said, amen. Go out. Hopefully we'll see you Friday night for our Christmas Eve service. Have a great week. <laughs>